Okay, I don't think I've ever shared this story with you. Oh. But I mentioned it at a dinner we were at recently. And so it occurred to me that I think you would find it funny. <laughs> I'm excited. So you know how you and I are always talking about, well, not always, but I think when we do like our TV episodes, mm-hmm. we're always like pitching shows mm-hmm. to basically the non-existent yeah. screenwriters listening. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so I've got another one. But I'm like copywriting this okay. verbally. Okay. I just copywrote it. <laughs> That's how it works. I'm TM, sure. TM, TM, yeah. TM, TM. Um, so when I graduated college... Um, I did not, as many people, I did not have a job yet. Didn't know what I was going to do, but I had a job offer Mm -hmm. in Montgomery at my college, which was like a last resort situation. But I thought, yeah, but I thought, well, maybe I'll live in Montgomery with my good friend, Amanda. Um, we never got to live together in college. She was from Montgomery. So she was like a, um, off campus student. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we, Proceeded to do what you did back in 2007, which is we, like, searched the want ads Mm -hmm. for apartments. Craigslist? Um, no. Mm. Like the actual want (laughs) ads. Okay. Like actual want ads. You know Craigslist was around. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know if Montgomery had caught on to that yet, Mm. uh, nor do I know if we had caught on to that. We literally searched the want ads, like, which is why this would make for a great sitcom. I'm already getting started. So we found a place... That sounded amazing because like your meals were pre. It sounded like college living, like meals prepared, like a breakfast bar in the morning, like dinners in the afternoon. Like, um, this is a place to live. Yes. There was a swimming pool on site, a gym. Um, and then other things like these extracurriculars that we were like, this sounds really fun. Was there a train? Uh, no, (laughs) but there is here. Um, there is in Montgomery though, but I don't think there was one near this complex. Mm. So basically it sounded like the world's best apartment complex, like all kinds of like classes you could take. And so we were like, this sounds amazing. This sounds not real. So we get in the car Uh and we drive to this new facility that is a retirement community. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I was like, there is something off here and that's it. You cracked it. So Amanda and I are in our car, in my car, I'm pulling up and I look. And then, like, there's, like, a, you know, like, a roundabout situation and to the entrance. And we uh-huh. just, like, roundabout right out of there. Uh, we were like, <laughs> okay. They have, we they have breakfast here. every day. I and there like, are all these classes. Breakfast? You can take arts and crafts? Like, it sounded amazing. Annie, oh, so, my goodness. So, my idea for a sitcom is that, and I, I totally think CBS would pick this up. They but, would. But you could. I know where you're going. <laughs> but you could. You could maybe um, amp it up a little and put it on Netflix. But basically, have these two women go live at a retirement community. Mm-hmm. And you can do, you can spin it in a different way. Like, let's say one of them um, is like a therapist or something, like a physical therapist. And so when they pull in, they're like, well, let's live here and I'll also work here. Like, you could figure it out so that it's maybe more believable than like two people who like live at a retirement community but then like when they bring guys home or whatever like you know you could have these really protective senior citizens who Mm -hmm. are like who's coming in here like they could be doing the walk of shame and the old people could be like what's going on and then like we decided me and olivia and lucy decided that the cold open could be like um every time like maybe there's a guy like there's an older gentleman we 
we pictured like one of our lovely customers, like who knocks on the door their door every day with like a different request, like borrowing a CD mm-hmm. or looking for something. Um, so like that could be the cold open. Is that who's knocking on their door this time and what is it about? Anyway, I think put Mike Sure on this ASAP, and we've got gold. <laughs> I would watch it. <laughs> episode 244 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jansen, and this is another complicated episode. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Now, Annie, when you pitched this episode to me a month or two ago, I was just very resistant Yes, and I want to be clear, this was not my idea. Whose was it? It was a... Listeners. A listener. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a listener's idea. Um, and it's because it is a hard thing to talk about. It's yes. an intensely personal thing to talk about. Yes. Um, and in that way, whenever, for many people, when other people talk about their faith, yes, it becomes a very personal and touchy subject for the person listening who can sometimes feel invalidated by the opinions of the other person who talking who is only talking about themselves. Correct. Um, and so it's a difficult thing to do delicately it and is. respectfully. Because sometimes, even when you are trying to be respectful, you're stepping on people's toes and people are understandably offended. Right. And I get it. I've been there on the other side, too. I, I get it as well. But I am, and I don't know, we'll find out today if a podcast is the place, <laughs> the place to talk about any of this. Um, but I hope, I guess my hope is, you and I are talking as friends yep. and as people who have known each other a long time. Yep. And I hope, at the very least, we can emulate how you can maybe have one of these conversations even though it's difficult. Yeah. Again, because I would hate for these conversations, whether it's about censorship and challenged books right. or faith and all of its complications, I would hate for those conversations to disappear. Yeah. Um, so I hope you're having them with the people you love and trust. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're those people for you. <laughs> no, we might not be. And the thing is, you and I have like fairly similar backgrounds. Yes. Um, are, I don't think currently in the same like place, but that's okay. Yeah. I, I, I respect where you are and I yeah. hope that you respect where I am. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's good and that's healthy and that's, well, that's life. It is life. I mean, it's, we're it's not being adults. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not all going to make all. Well, there are definitely people decisions. in in my life who who don't respect. Yeah. Um, the my, journey. My own deeply held convictions, but you know, here we are. Here we are. So basically, the way that this listener, if I remember correctly, and I wish I could name them, but I don't have that in front of me, um, basically was just saying, hey. Would you guys ever consider doing an episode about faith books? Mm-hmm. And that, by the way, is very broad. Like, yeah. that could be a lot of things. Because I think for some people, that would be like, what you can pick up in a Lifeway Christian bookstore. Which are you can't anymore. Which you can't R-I-B. anymore. R.I. R- R- <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they still exist, just yeah. not. Uh, you can't go to a bookstore anymore. No, the, um, the one Tallahassee is closing currently. Okay. Not, not closed yet. God, speaking of which, unrelated. Mm-hmm. Forever 21. Yeah, go on. Bankrupt. Um, the they're reta- just rebranding. The retail landscape is really interesting to watch. It really is. And here we are working in it. Goodbye, um, mall. <laughs> but, Hello, Main Street. Yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, it could be like, I think some people might think of Girl, Wash Your Face. Right. That is not what we are here to discuss today. No. Um, 
nor is that my preferred genre no. of faith book. And if that is yours, great. Sure. I am not here to tell Good you not you. to read that. I'm here to tell you what I enjoy reading. Yes. And that's all. Yeah, that's really it. So it's going to be like an episode, just an episode book list yeah. style. And so uh, I want to be very clear about where we're coming from. Yes. We are not proselytizing our own ideals here. Gosh, no. Um, we are telling you the things that we like to read yeah. that relate to the idea of faith. Yes. Because it is an idea that appeals to both of us yes. in different in ways. In different ways. Um, and, and in sometimes overlapping ways. Yes. Um, as and are most of our reading As are most of our reading <laughs> tastes. Um, not the same, but often overlapping. Yes. Um, which is great. So this is us, and that's all it is. If you agree, great. If you don't, also great. Yeah. And hopefully, no matter where... I don't know where you stand or where you are, air quotes, on your journey right. or whatever. Hopefully there are some books here that you might enjoy. Right. Um, that I think that's the goal. So. And so just background, Annie and I both come from the like American Christian, American Protestant Christian tradition. Yes. Um, you were raised in the Church of Christ. I was yes. raised in a nominally Baptist church. Uh-huh. Um, both went to um, private Christian school. And it was your school Baptist as uh, well? No, mine was Dutch Reformed. Oh, mine was Baptist. Um, and then also both went to Christian colleges. Yes. Um, through those experiences have both come to... I, I'll, I'll say it with, with, the, with the harsh word because it's true, but maybe we can tone down later. Have come to reject a lot of evangelical Christianity yeah. ourselves. Or at the very least question, question. it. Um, not Christianity in total... No, not for, for me. For either of us. Yeah, not for um, me either. But certainly some aspects of the of the popular American church. Sure. Um, there has there was a great article on five thirty eight. Okay. Um, which is Nate Silver's blog. Yeah. Um, I think last week, maybe two weeks ago, about how um, politics has actually driven a lot of people under thirty or under forty away from American yeah. churches. Yeah, I um, believe that to be true. It, and it was a really well researched, interesting piece. Um, with, with like hard data. So I'll have that linked in the show notes. It's really interesting because um, the, the, the thesis is like, it's not religion that drives people away. It's right. the way that religion is intertwined with politics yeah. that drives people away. And there may be other reasons, but I for, I for sure think oh, that yeah. has no, no, been no. true. I'm not saying that that's the only reason, but yeah. that is a big reason in the last 15, 20 years. I would love for you to link to an episode of this podcast called Through Line, yeah. which is fantastic um but there is i wish i could i'm trying to find the name of the episode um i think it came recommended to me by uh knox mccoy mm, i think and that, um, that makes sense um but he references this episode about faith very well <laughs> yeah so his uh he recommended this podcast on the podcast is called through line the episode is apocalypse now okay and it's about evangelicals and the history of American evangelicalism. It is fascinating. Um, Jordan and I listened to it um, on a on a road trip, and I like almost wanted to hit play on it again so that I could re-listen to it. Right. So if you um, maybe have questions, like I learned some things I didn't know. That's great. Um, so anyway, it's excellent. Uh, episode of through line did you read that piece um the um jerry Falwell jr expose uh, a couple weeks ago of course I did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh chris please <laughs> i figured however whoa bonkers and yet not at all and nothing surprising <laughs> anyway these are the reasons yeah, yeah can you tell from our tone we have so much to say so much to say that we will not say here no but these are the things that we do enjoy reading um things that are interesting to us and that hit our our faith buttons yeah so, start start us off. Okay, so one of the authors who really 
um, influenced me after graduation mm-hmm. from college was Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, she wrote a book called Leaving Church, which I constantly, as a um, younger person, kept having to tell people, no, no, it's not about leaving church. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to, like, clarify, because it's really not. Um, but it is. she is an Episcopal priest, mm-hmm. and she wrote this book about leaving... Um, leaving her parish and moving into academia. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of about faith burnout. Mm -hmm. uh, That's a thing. Because, yeah, and can you imagine, you and I might be burnout just from years of attending and, and, you know, experiencing. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine being a person like in charge (laughs) or leading or, or shepherding. So this is her memoir, Leaving Church, is about that experience and what it was like for her to kind of leave church world and enter academic world. Um, I find her to be a fascinating um, author. She wrote a book I love called Alter in the World. Her new book is called Holy Envy. I have started it. I bought it. Like, um, I, have not, I have not read it yet because it's one of those I want to really kind of grapple with and, and relish. Um, but her new book is kind of about what she has found um, to be true and, I guess perhaps holy in other religions. So I love the title, Holy Envy. I think that's a really interesting concept. I love her as a writer, but leaving church met me at just the right moment. That's great. And um, her writing style is one I just love, and I felt like I was reading a book by a mentor Mm -hmm. and friend. Um, So anyway, Leaving Church by Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, I think actually weirdly kind of similar, although not at all in other ways, is everyone knows C.S. Lewis. Yes, yes. Um, if you've been raised in the American church at all, he's been taught to you as like the, the saint, the Elvis <laughs> of evangelicals um, is something that I don't remember which author coined that, but it's a good term yeah. because people love to read C.S. Lewis and talk about C.S. Lewis, but like only mere Christianity, screw tape letters and Narnia. Yeah. And like none of the other ones. I do love screw tape letters, but oh, my favorite those is, are all great. But my favorite is the one you're about to mention. And my favorite one is A Grief Observed. Yeah, me too. Because it is the one that he published anonymously, uh-huh. or he published under a pseudonym, pseudonymously. Um, because it is the one where he was like, maybe everything I believe is wrong. Yeah. Maybe nothing I believe is real. Mm-hmm. Maybe all this stuff that I have taught my entire adult life and defended with my very being yeah. is is nothing. Yeah. And it's what, what he wrote after his wife died. Yes. Um, and like what the process of grief did to him on the level of his faith. Yes. It it's shook so him to the very core of his being and to see someone like Lewis who was such a staunch defender and and like very heady philosophical thinker about faith to just be shaken yeah. is something to behold. Yeah. And I wish people would read more of this because it's not a renunciation of his faith no. by any means. He does come full circle yeah. ultimately, but changed. Yes, but changed and, and in a really good and interesting way. And he really wrestles. That's the best word. Yeah. I think. Like he really is struggling. Yeah. Um, and I am so grateful for an author to be willing to put that into the world. Absolutely. Um, like basically you're cut open for people to see. Yeah. Um, and it I, is a vivisection. And I think it's hard I, I would be curious to see how often now that happens. Yeah. Like, because because the world is, um, I don't know if hard, harder might not be the word now, but like, 
to to expose yourself in that way would be terrifying to me. Right. To me personally. Right. Um, and which is why he didn't attach his name to it yeah. when it was published. I don't think it had his name on it until after he died. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. Yeah. Um, I wrote my master's thesis on Lewis, but it's been several years now, and I'm not in Lewis scholarship world, so I don't remember the pub date. But I saw his house. Yeah, the kilns. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing because of how normal and ordinary yeah. it was. And and he would love that, yeah. hearing that that's what you thought. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just my house. It's not, <laughs> nothing special. Um, um, I, but fantastic book. I highly recommend it to everybody. We also talked about it a long time ago, long, 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 long time ago on our grief episode. Oh, yeah. That's about grief. That was a good episode. That was one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I'll link that in the show notes, too. Um, okay, the next one I have is actually one that I think I've been begging you to read for, mm-hmm. I don't know, is maybe the as, of the Lamb? Yeah, yeah. as long as I've known you. Um, so this is by um, Robert Farrar Comp- Capone. Com- no, it's not Capone, like, Robert Farrar, maybe it is. Maybe it is like The Godfather, but I'm just now making that connection. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, he is, I believe, a priest, I want to say, Um but I'm including this book because I have found that when faith and food writing mix, yeah. I am very much here for it. And so many religions have such ritualistic ideas about food. Yes. And so it makes sense. It does make sense. Um, so basically, this is a food memoir. Um, but the way he writes about food and meals and gathering around a table is so... Uh, intimate and so holy that I thought I would include it here. Um, one of my favorite takeaways, and I've, I've referenced it here many times, um, but he uses this kind of phrase, like when you're chopping a carrot, chop a carrot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very much this, I mean, exquisitely beautiful writing with these paid, like these sentences that you just want to underline and be like, mm-hmm. wait, but that's a takeaway. Like that's mm-hmm. something I can take out of this book and into my life. Um, there are recipes, um, you know, there, there is like a whole section on how to cook a lamb, how to sharpen your knives, but for whatever reason feels deeply to me tied to faith. And I think that's because for me personally, um, faith is often tied to the very ordinary things we mm-hmm. do. And it's about practice. Yes. And rituals. Right. And, uh, so anyway, I adore the writing in this. I think also I have very fond memories. My brother and I read this together. Mm-hmm. So he read his copy. I read mine and then we would talk about it. Um, so I'm sure that plays a part in how much I loved this book. Um, but the food writing is stellar and be- because it is not obviously tied to Christianity or faith, I think it is, able to be enjoyed mm-hmm. by anyone like it, you're right like it is and it isn't like the the title right yes it, <laughs> the title if you are affiliate if like you are familiar with right. christian lingo it, it's a shibboleth yeah. like you, you know it <laughs> yes. or you don't yes and it determines how you read it yes and so i imagine um a person maybe with a different faith from me um or even perhaps a non-faith could still really enjoy right. and get something out of this book it has elements it does have elements of like a C.S. Lewis or even Bread and Wine by Shauna Nyquist, which mm-hmm. is a much newer title. Um, but it also, um, oh, it reminds me very much of like a practical cooking guide, right. like a like a how to um, a how to for cooking. I was even gonna name like a um, a different book that it reminded me of, but I can't remember. Um, anyway, 
really excellent. I love this book. It sounds a little bit even like a Christian version of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yeah. The idea of like finding spirituality oh, in the small practice thing. That's a very good book. Is that a faith? Would that count? Because I love yeah. that book. Oh, absolutely yeah. that counts. I love it's that. It's not the Christian faith. Yes. But we are extending the umbrella of faith to all of the other ones yes, here too. remember? Yeah. Which are very good and important. So, great. Um, speaking of the other faiths, um, a book that I really, really loved thought the movie was fine but like the book was amazing was the life of pi yes that's a great book and so it's one of those books that like it was very popular mm-hmm. a lot of people have read this and i think it deserves the hype um but it's also really weird in its structure mm-hmm. or like the first third of the book is just this guy's story of childhood how he grew up surrounded by three different faiths um hinduism christianity and islam and how he found value and meaning and all of those things but could never really decide on which one that he wanted to devote himself to yes um fully and so he ended up like just not doing any of them kind of yeah and then the next part of the book is the part that everybody knows about him getting <laughs> him being on, in that boat with a tiger having him <laughs> being in a shipwreck and being on a raft with the tiger yes but the first part is really the more interesting yeah. part to me yeah um that like sets up the themes of the rest of the book that then in the last 25 pages you are able to read the second part of the book more fully in the vein of the first part. I recall loving that book when it came out for the same reasons it's you fantastic. did. It's fantastic. It's one of those books... So somebody at dinner... Um, it was a dinner here in Thomasville, and Jordan and I were the youngest people at our table by like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, um, one of the women there was asking me my opinion on like what books I would call... And you and I could have this conversation all day long, but yeah. basically she was saying what books that have been written in the past 20, 30 years mm-hmm. could be considered classics. Mm-hmm. And she was older, so mm-hmm. she was coming at it from like, you know, East of Eden, like I'm reading or whatever. Like, what's what are some things like that? And I did not mention, but I think Life of Pi should be in that category. I think so too. But it's one we don't really talk about. After, it's like... It got that initial buzz, yeah. and then it had the movie, and then people stopped talking yeah, about it. Yeah, you're right. And I think it is actually very good. I wonder if the movie actually ruined Probably the momentum. Did. And like, the movie was fine. And the movie fine. was good. I like, it. it was really well made. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, okay. It's not as good, I think, on the faith front as it is about the just storytelling front. Yes. Because one of the things, I mean, I, no spoiler warning here because this book is 10 years old now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Minimum. Uh, mi- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I read it in 2011. Okay. And it was already in paperback. Yeah. So it must have been 2009, 2010. Yeah. Um, the book talks about how faith and storytelling are intrinsically intertwined. Yes. Um, and that the stories we tell ourselves are a kind of faith. Yeah. And that the stories we tell ourselves about how the world works determine how we think the world works. Yes. Which is itself a kind of faith. And when I was 21, this <laughs> idea was mind I was about to say that would have been mind-boggling. It was incredible. And it really did... I won't say it reshaped the way that I think about the world, but it, it sparked a lot of... of curiosity yes in a way that like i didn't have the vocabulary to talk about before i get that and that book was so important to my own personal journey yes. which feels dumb to say like what was the most important thing on your journey the life of pi <laughs> look that makes but sense it really me. was and if it hit you like right when you were kind it of it hit me right yeah. when i needed it yeah right when you were kind of asking um, questions and... and the next one that i'll talk about too in a in a different but similar way i read um, the same summer. It was the summer that I tried to have a book club. Okay. Um, and these were the two books that we actually ended up reading in the book club. But I'm so glad that we did because there were books I needed to talk about with right people. Right. Yes. Right. When um, we needed that. Which was great. 
Um, so I will defer to you on the next one and then come back to mine. Okay, so mine is one that I read and adored, A Place for Us. Yeah. Um, which came out, gosh, last year or two years ago. Time is a weird thing that I cannot wrap my brain Time around. Time is a giddy thing. Um, but it is by Fatima Farin Mirza. Um, I like could, Fatima. Fatima. I could not get over her, um, her ability to write this book at like the age of, I think, 26. Um... Anyway, this was the first novel from Sarah Jessica Parker's imprint. Uh, and so I think, you know, at first I was like, oh, please, like, Sarah Jessica Parker, like, stay in your lane. No, no. This book is excellent. Uh, and I now have, I now follow Sarah Jessica Parker on Instagram. <laughs> now I'm here for it. Uh, now I trust her implicitly. Um, so this is a book about an Indian American family. And I love um, generational stories of faith as well. So where you've got like the older generation who perhaps is more traditional or conservative. Um, and then their children are kind of questioning mm -hmm. and following behind, but not sure they want to follow behind. Right. So this book addresses a lot of that. Um, it's fiction. It's a beautiful novel. Um, I think my dad read it and I think he, like a lot of people were like, well, it was really slow, but that last chapter, there's this last chapter that is very reminiscent. And I think my mom had a similar experience. Yeah. Very reminiscent to me of Gilead. I was here for the whole thing. I, I don't know. I like, I've defended unsheltered. I will defend a place for us. Um, I was here for all of it, but what these children who are adults, what these adult children are grappling with is identity, mm -hmm. um, of faith, but also of nationality mm -hmm. and they're American, like they are American born children. And so how does that contrast to their parents who were not? Um, so you've got some interesting storytelling there. Um, but underneath it all is, are these children going to kind of, um, reject or adhere to the faith of their childhood. I, I love this book, um, because of all of those things. Um, and again, this is not a book that's talking about Christianity. Um, this is just, this is why I like, I say I like books about faith. I like books about family. I like books about tradition. And if you have met me and if you know my family and if you know how I was raised, all of that makes sense. Like yeah. it's no wonder why I'm drawn to these, right. these stories. So this is like a multi-generational, um, book that if you missed it when it came out if you somehow missed it because it was hyped quite a bit but if you missed it i think take the time to go back and read it i loved it i thought it was so powerful and so good and on the theme of you know like intergenerational trauma yeah. um victor frankel was a holocaust mm. survivor um i think if i'm remembering this correctly he was a graduate student when he was taken to a concentration camp and he smuggled his dissertation oh, wow. through the entire experience somehow. And I'm Dedication. like, respect. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely cannot. Um, and I would jettison it into the sun yeah. <laughs> um, if I could. But Viktor Frankl did this amazing thing um, and then wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. Which I have still never read. I'm and sorry to you say. You need to. It's, yeah. it's short. It's 150 yeah. pages. Yeah. Um, it's not specifically about faith. Mm -hmm. Victor Frankl himself was raised um, raised Jewish, um, but I don't think it was was practicing in any meaningful yeah. way. Um, but the way that he writes about the the like universal drive for like I need to find meaning in suffering. I need to find meaning in the mm -hmm. bad things in my life, especially as somebody who lived through the Holocaust. Right, is very moving. Yeah, and there is one passage that really always sticks out to me about forgiveness. 
um, where he talks about like it's it's been years after after Europe has been liberated, mm-hmm. and he's walking through a field or something in Germany with I think another Jewish friend who lived through the Holocaust, and his friend suggests like we we should just burn this field, mm-hmm. this field that belongs to these Nazi sympathizers, these people who have who are going to face no repercussion uh-huh. for their actions for their non action yeah. when our people were slaughtered yeah. like animals and. And Victor Frankl's whole thing is like, I, I can't. Yeah. Like, I, I can't take vengeance. Vengeance isn't mine mm. here. Um, and I don't think that everybody would agree with that. For sure. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. There are different ways to think about that. Yeah. Um, this is a horrible, awful thing, and people deserve to take vengeance yeah. on that kind of thing. But Victor Frankl's particular articulation of what forgiveness means yeah. and about what revenge means. Yeah deeply affected the way that I think about oh. much smaller yes. <laughs> um, degrees of that in yeah. my own life. Um, which I then I think did reframe a lot of how I think about yeah. meaning. Yeah. And, and meaning in suffering. And meaning in suffering. And that sometimes suffering isn't there to teach you a lesson. Yes. Sometimes bad things just happen. And you can learn from it. Yeah. But it didn't happen to you so that you would learn a lesson. Right, which I think if you come out if you're coming out of the traditions in which we were raised, that's new information. Right. Which it shouldn't be. It shouldn't but, it, be. but it is new but information. But it is sometimes framed that way. They're like, yeah. well look what happened to Joe, but all yeah. of that was to teach him a lesson and he was rewarded with twice as many kids as he had before. Like, His kids are still dead. Yeah. Just because like can, <laughs> we are not parents, but I yeah. cannot imagine the trauma of losing a child yeah. and then somebody telling you, But you had two more but after you got more. Isn't that great? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. I think um, the way, the way you're talking, like, yeah, th- some of these books you have to remember, like, for you, that was new information, yeah. like, that was a new way, it was reframing, yeah. um, kind of the ideas in, in which you and I, I think, were kind of entrenched mm-hmm. and, and, and raised, um. And I want to say, like, through no fault of my parents, who no. did not push things like that the, on me. Neither did mine. But in but, the other the other adjacent environments. But when you're a did. kid, you've got influences from all right, from all sides, and um, I don't know. I I think that's I think that's fascinating. Um, because of the issues that it brings up with your own, like I said, within yeah. the questions that you wind up asking of your own. Right. Um, okay. One that for me was um was mind mind-blowing as well uh is um walking on water by mm-hmm. madeline lingle again Ugh, i love her oh my gosh she's amazing uh i um i love her and i actually we've talked before i think a wrinkle in time is good yeah um but i read it as an adult and right. so i do think you miss a little something when you don't read it as a child i read her um austin family chronicles which i loved mm-hmm. um but actually where i have found the most comfort in Madeline Lingle is in her nonfiction. Right. So Walking on Water is, again, like Supper of the Lamb kind of has this title that I think if you are, um, if you were raised or adjacent to Christianity, then you it would be familiar to you. Right. But the book itself is about um, art and it is about um, how we view storytelling right. and how we view um, artistry and creating things and creativity. Yeah. And again, because I was raised, uh, as you said, maybe through not through any fault of my parents, but through whether it was the school I was attending or the church mm-hmm. I was going to, like my views on art and creativity were, I think, 
dampened a yeah. little bit, for lack of a better term. And to read this book that made me realize, okay, so I guess this was the first book I read that made me realize, oh, it's okay to find beauty mm-hmm. and truth mm-hmm. in <clears throat> something other than Christian fiction. Right. And I knew that. And that's especially the tradition yeah. that you came out yes. of. Yes, and I found that, well, really not even... Ugh. I'm the tradition I grew up in. I don't even know valued much beyond scripture itself. Exactly. Then the Baptist school mm-hmm. that I went to really emphasized Christian, Christian media, literature. Right. Yes, Christian movies, Christian books, Christian as an adjective. Right. And then I went to college, and great books helped reframe some of that. Right. But then post great books, I read Walking on Water, which finally helped me be able to articulate my problems with right. that. Um, that Christian is not meant to be an adjective. Right. <laughs> Uh, and I think Madeline Lingle was the first uh, writer that put that into words. Um, and and then the book itself is just just so... She's a genius. Jordan and I were talking the other day oh, about who we think geniuses are. She is, for and sure. And I think she qualifies as a genius. For sure. Um, as a literary genius. I adore this book. Um, I think they re-released it a couple years ago. Yeah, I think so cover. too. I, I, yeah, we had that. And um, I remember the new cover. But it is... It was a game changer for me, and I don't know that that would be true for everyone, mm-hmm. but for somebody like me and somebody like you who mm-hmm. who maybe had these things we had questions about, and to finally have somebody who words it just mm-hmm. right to make you feel not alone. Right. So comforting. Um, have you read Christ and Culture by Richard Niebuhr? No, I have not. You, you I've and Jordan, heard of it. That's something that you and Jordan need to read together. In culture and... Christ... Well, that's what's great. Christ <laughs> and culture. Okay. Um... This is a book that, similar to Walking Water for You, I think helped reframe a lot of that stuff. Yeah. In the idea that it explains that Christianity is not one monolithic thing. Uh-huh. That every Christian believes absolutely the same thing. And if they disagree about some of those things, then the then the people who disagree are not Christians. Right. Which is definitely something I heard. Yeah. And something that other people in my life have been definitely taught to, yes. to a scary degree. Yes. Christ and Culture is a book from, like, the 1950s, I want to say. Okay. Very, like, very famous academic Richard Niebuhr, um, where he talks about how there are five principal ways that Christians historically have understood the relation of Christ to human culture. Okay. And there's the idea that Christ and culture coexist. Mm -hmm. There is Christianity. There is secular culture. They both have value. Okay. There's Christ in culture, which is that, like, you can actually find a lot of very good teaching good Christian teaching within secular culture, perhaps accidentally, perhaps because of providence. Right. Um, there's Christ above culture, which is that like they need to be separate and only Christian culture is good. Okay. Uh, or no, that's Christ against culture. There's okay. Christ above culture and then there's Christ transformer of culture. Oh, it's a really, really interesting book. Yeah. Um, that like goes historically through like the different movements and the different cultures that have believed and practiced each of these yeah. views. Yeah. And it reframes so much of like, oh, this is why I'm in conflict with this other person ideologically, because we come from different traditions and are not actually speaking the same language. I was about to say in different worldviews. Yeah, it's about worldview. Yeah. Um, That these are five different Christian worldviews that are all Christian worldviews. Yeah. um, But that sometimes don't recognize each other as such. I'm going to look that up. It's so good, Annie, and you and Jordan particularly would really love it. Um, I want to put a plug in here really quickly because I know we're yeah. running out of time, but, um, I wanted to mention Searching for Sunday mm-hmm. by Rachel Held Evans. Oh, um, I miss her. I will, I will try to talk about this without getting emotional, but I, I have read her for a long time and she's another, 
I was, I was reminiscing when going through my bookshelves the other day because it, I realized that after college, like right after college, I was reading a lot of these kinds of books because mm-hmm. I was, because I had questions yeah. and I, and I was an adult and, um, finally felt some freedom in, wait a minute, what is it that I believe? I just graduated from this Christian college. What do I think about these things? Um, and I had grappled with them some in college, but you know as well as I do, in college you're also just trying to graduate. Like you're just yeah. trying to read. You're just trying to read what's required of you. And get out. Uh, yes. And so then when you get out, and when you're reading, what you get to choose for the first time in a long time, I going through my bookshelves realized I really grabbed a lot of these books. Um, the Year of Biblical Womanhood by Rachel Held Evans was one I grabbed early, and Searching for Sunday is one I read. It was her. Um, Inspired was her most recent book. I have still not been able to pick that one up because now I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> and so I haven't been able to pick it up. I did buy it. Um, but Searching for Sunday came out a few years ago and hit me right when Jordan and I were kind of leaving the church of our upbringing mm-hmm. and raising, which I think for some people would be not a big deal. And right. that's totally fine. I envy you. <laughs> uh, but for, for other people it is. But for us, it happened to be a very big deal. And I remember sit, I remember where I was. I was sitting on my front porch swing and reading and realizing, oh my gosh, somebody else feels this way. Right. Somebody else worries, if I switch churches though, who's going to throw my baby shower? Which seems like a dumb thing. No, I get but that. But if you grew up where church was also your friend group and your community, mm-hmm. and you're talking about turning, I didn't see it this way, but I knew some people would see it as turning my back on that. Uh-huh. Uh, what would that mean for my future children? What would it mean for our faith community what would it mean for people we loved and to hear somebody echoing that was so profoundly moving and I cannot thank her enough um for for the comfort she brought me and if you're not familiar Rachel Hell Evans died this year very unexpectedly and tragically um and so I remember we were gosh Jordan and I were somewhere we were out of town and I watched the funeral. I live streamed the funeral and just wept like a yeah. child. Um, if you have not read her and you are a doubter, a questioner, a struggler, um, and even ironically, this is why I think she's so great. Even if you're none of those things, mm-hmm. I think you will even really, more reason. Yeah, I think you will really like her and her way of writing. It feels like a dear friend has sat down with you to share something with you. Right. Um, so searching for Sunday. Uh, and can I just put a plug real quick? Yes. Okay, I just want to say, I also love books about science and faith. Mm-hmm. So The Essex Serpent right. is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, Explanation for Everything, which is a book whose title I can never remember when you and I are on this podcast. Uh-huh. And I looked it up in particular for this mm-hmm. episode. But it is about a guy um, who is a science teacher, and a science professor, and his student wants to do a project on intelligent design. Mm. And... It is, the story is so good. It's fiction, Mm -hmm. very enjoyable, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum. Explanation for everything. It's got a really beautiful cover. Also forgot all about this book till I went back like looking through, what books did I like? Small Blessings, um, written by an NPR like culture critic, I want to say, Martha Woodruff. Um, It's about, you know her name, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Me too. But I didn't when I read it the first time. Anyway, this book is fiction. It's called Small Blessings. It's about a college professor whose wife is very um, ill and 
he is having to take care of her and it is exhausting. And then the, the girl who runs the bookstore on campus comes to town and kind of messes with the mojo of everything. Um, but there are a lot of things in there about faith. Mm -hmm. If you liked Dearly Beloved, I think you might like Small Blessings. And then Francis and Bernard, if you liked Fire Sermon, but it was too R-rated for you. Francis and Bernard is a platonic faith friendship that I mm -hmm. find fascinating based on Flannery O'Connor. Um, I will also plug Hogfather by Terry Pratchett. Okay. Um, which is essentially like a fantasy, <laughs> a fantasy novel kind of about Santa Claus. Okay. But then the embodiment of death gives an amazing monologue about the importance of faith in our everyday lives okay. that I have printed and hung up at, on, above my desk. <laughs> and I read it every day. That's um, wonderful. And it's beautiful yeah. and moving. That's and wonderful. It still moves me and I read it every day. Oh, that's delightful. Um, and so... Weird book. Very <laughs> weird book. It's a it's it's humor fantasy. It's okay. Terry Pratchett, but it has some of the most insightful faith writing I've ever read. Oh, that's wonderful. Um so that's that. that I thought that was fun. I hope I, thought so too. I hope ev I hope everyone out there is okay. <laughs> we'll find out. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Oh, we cast our lots with all the devils of sin. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you, as always, to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album, Forlorn Strangers. You can learn more at forlornstrangers.com or find them on Instagram under their current moniker, The Rally Club. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content, check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. You can also find us at our website, fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, for web-only content and a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. So for story time, we read this book that I highly recommend. It's very cute. Uh, called What Would an Ant What Does an Anteater Eat? And it goes through, like, does an anteater eat? Uh, I don't know. Uh you know, does it eat other animals? Does it eat, like, anyway, it goes through this whole thing, but it's very funny. The anteater is, like, asking mm -hmm. questions of other animals. Um, but what I love is that I don't, some of our kids in story time are young, and so what does an anteater eat is not as obvious to right. them. Right, right, and so right. it was very fun to ask them, like, what do you think an anteater eats? And I fully suspected there to be at least one child who would be like, well, ants, duh. Like, it is an anteater. Yeah, like there's always one. But in this particular group, there was not. And so these sweet, adorable children just kept going, grass, um, fruit. Like they were just <laughs> trying so hard. And finally I was like, let's listen to the name again. Anteater. What does an anteater eat? dirt like <laughs> it was so cute and then there was this little girl i think her mom listens to this show uh but anyway this little girl in story time every time i would say 
what does an anteater eat? Because that's what the anteater is asking. Mm -hmm. She obviously was familiar with the anteater's concept because I think what she was doing every time I asked that question was she would get down on the ground and with her nose, like snort up off the carpet. <laughs> like an anteater does with ants, only, <laughs> only she was just sniffing our carpet. That's so funny. It was hilarious, my favorite thing. That is so funny. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will see you next week.